Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wellston, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. So if you have a Bible, something you can open up or something you can turn on, we are going to start in 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. For a lot of months, we walked through, on Wednesday nights, we went through every different book of the Bible and looked at um, kind of a survey of each book of the Bible. Once we finished that, then we pivoted and we started looking at different characters of the Bible. I talking about the famous and the infamous. If you ever remember the Three Amigo movie and how they describe El Wapo in the movie, it's the infamous. And I, I, some of you are going to say it's called infamous. I know it's infamous, but they in the Three Amigo movie, it's the infamous. So we're going to look at different characters. We're going to look at the famous and we're going to look at the infamous. And the reason why we are looking at these different characters is because not only is God's word there meant to teach us and show us um, spiritual principles, spiritual truths, but at the same time, there are characters that we see in the Bible that are either an example and a model of what we should do, or a character or a model or an example of what we should not do. And so there's both and, and sometimes we like to focus on the heroes, and sometimes we like to focus on the winners and the successes and say, well, that's who I am, and everybody identifies with David and the story of David and Goliath. Um, you have things like that, but at the same time, there's, there's, there's characters, uh, personalities in the Bible that are examples to us of what not to do. So, tonight in 1 Kings chapter 16, we're going to look at the character of Ahab. Does anybody remember the Ray Stevens song? Ahab the Rahab. Ahab the Arab. Arab. Ahab the Arab. Right? So I'm not going to play for you the chorus, but you can go and you can look it up on the interweb and you can look for Ray Stevens, Ahab the Arab. And there's kind of a catchy tune about Ahab the Arab. Now, none of it is biblically accurate. Okay? So if you're going to it for a biblically accurate song, it's not biblically accurate at all. But when we think about Ahab, or when I think about Ahab, that's immediately where I go as I think about the song, how Ray Stevens described him um, lurking through the sand dunes in the middle of the night on his camel named Clyde. And, that, and that's just kind of how I think about it. Well, 1 Kings 16 is where we come upon the character of Ahab. So as we've been coming to these... Every single Wednesday night, we're looking at these. And next week, Jaylene, we're going to be looking at Jezebel. So if you want to read ahead, you can read. I'm serious. Did you single me out? Because you asked, you asked, you, you made the statement you'd like to know what we were doing for the next week so you can think ahead. So I'm just, I'm just letting you know. So everybody, everybody, everybody just knows we're talking about Jezebel next week. So, um, but we come to these and we always, we're asking three questions. We're asking... Who were they in the in the terms of uh, biographical information? Who were they? Um, then we're looking at why do we know them? And then we're looking at what lessons do they have to teach us? So when we think about these characters, asking these three questions. So coming to the character of Ahab, we're asking the question of who were they?
they were talking about um, maybe their dad, maybe their mom, maybe their wife, maybe their daughter, uh, maybe their son. So what do we know about Ahab biographically? He was one that was more wicked than anybody else out of both God's anger. Okay. Seventh king of Israel after the split. Seventh king of Israel after the split. Okay. Know his dad's name, his mom's name. What? Omri. Okay, so his Omri was his father's name. And you may say, oh, Spencer, you're just making that up. No, no, no. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 28. It says, Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. So we know that his father's name was Omri, the sixth king after the split. And so that makes Ahab the seventh king. What else do we know about Ahab biographically? Okay, he was married, so his wife's name was Jezebel. And you say, well, Spence, where do you get that from? Well, you look down the page into verse 31 of 1 Kings chapter 16, and it says, And if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. So, okay, good. So we got his dad as Omri. Omri. We got his wife as Jezebel. We'll spend more time looking at her sweet character next week. Alright? What else do we know about him biographically? You know his mama's name? I couldn't find him. I couldn't find his mama's name. Alright? Uh, brothers, sisters, do we have any record of his brothers and sisters that you know of? I didn't find any. Okay? Um, so all I could find when I was thinking about when I was looking at his biographical information when I got his his father and I got his wife Jezebel and let's say do we have any record of his sons or daughters? He does have sons, but he killed them. He killed them. Well, it, well, it says he did it here. He sacrificed or whatever. Okay. He died. Where do you see that at? It's right here. Oh, I know it's right there in front of you. I'm asking where you at. I'm at uh, 34. Okay, you think that might be talking about the hill? Because it talks about in his days, hill of Bethel. So the way that, and, and you might be right, but the way that I read it is, hill or hill is a, a man's name. So there may be some, may go but either way. Maybe hill he was. Put a, his hand to it, but he could have said someone to kill his Sure, sure. Okay. Do we know anything about his sons or his sons' names? He had 70 of them. Okay, where do you get that from, young man? 2 Kings 10.1. That's right. 2 Kings 10.1. It talks about Jehu. And Jehu goes after his 70 sons. And we'll, we'll come back. We, we will get to there eventually. Um, but So we see he has 70 sons. Do we know the names of his sons? Or even just one or two of them, maybe. Not well, Fred and Barney may have been. I don't know. So, so we we know in Second Kings chapter ten and verse one that he had seventy sons. We don't have sixty-eight of the names, and it could have been Fred and Barney. I, it, it could have been, but we do know. We do know if you go to First Kings chapter twenty-two and verse forty, we get the name of his. What I'm going to assume is his oldest son, because this is 
the son that then succeeded him. It says in 1 Kings 22 and verse 40. So Ahab slept with his father and Hazaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So I take it from that and I don't, because we don't have all the names of the 70. We don't have a birth order of the 70 or the, the genealogy of the 70. But I just assume that Ahaziah was his oldest son because he reigned in um, in the place of his father. And that was the custom during that time when the father would pass away, the oldest son then would assume and take the throne. So we know he had 70 sons. We know one of his sons was Ahaziah. Any other ideas? Okay, so then look with me in 2 Kings and chapter 1. So there's two names that the Bible gives us for the sons of Ahab. You have Ahaziah, which would be the first one, because he was the first one that took the reign. And then it tells us in 1 Kings chapter 17, it says Ahaziah, he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken, and Jehoram became king in his place in the second year. But then you continue in that verse, and it says in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. You may be thinking, you're reading that and you're going, what Je- Jehoram became king because Ahaziah did not have a brother, but I thought Jehoram's dad was Ahab, and it says here that Jehoram's dad was Jehoshaphat. You might be wondering to yourself, well, that seems confusing. And it is confusing. So, let me try to put it in vernacular that I think about. Alright, so you got Ahab. He is the king of what people? Israel. Alright, so he's got the ten northern tribes. So you got Ahab, the ten northern tribes. You have the two southern tribes, which is called Judah. Judah, okay. So you got Ahab in the north, or in the north of the ten northern tribes. You got Judah in the south with the two southern tribes. And so during this time, you have Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Okay? Are you tracking with me? Alright? Ahab has 70 sons. Two of his sons, he names Ahaziah and Jehoram. Okay? But then, Jehoshaphat has a son and he names his son Jehoram. Then Jehoram has a son that names Ahaziah. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? All right. So when you get there and you're in Second Kings, what? 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 I said, can you draw that? Yeah, I could draw it. But so you got so you got Ahab. Okay. So let me do this again. So you got Ahab. He's got two sons. He's got Ahaziah and Jehoram. All right. He's t- Israel, ten northern tribes. Then you got Jehoshaphat, two southern tribes. He has a son named Jehoram, and then he has a grandson named Ahaziah. Now. It gets even more confusing because as you're in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you will find and you will see that Jehoshaphat makes a marriage alliance with Ahab. Okay? What does that mean? So at one point, Ahab's daughter marries Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's son. Okay? So you've got 
you've got Ahab's daughter is the daughter-in-law of Jehoshaphat. So the king of Israel, the ten northern tribes, his daughter's father-in-law is the king of the two southern tribes in Judah. Now, you may say, why does all that matter? Well, hopefully you'll see when we get down to 2 Kings chapter 8, 9, and 10, you'll kind of see where all of this starts to come in. Alright? So, if you see Jehoram and you see it and it's, you, and it's given both ways, sometimes when you get to 2 Kings, it'll drop the H out of Jehoram through the Ahab lineage and it'll just say Joram. And so you, but it's the same, it's the same person, just a different spelling. Did I confuse you? Yes. Okay, good. All right, so we'll, we'll try to, we'll come back there and maybe let that sink in and let that marinate a little bit. All right, so we think about who he was. We know his daddy's name was Omri. We know his wife's name was Jezebel. We know he had at least 70 sons and at least one daughter. We know the one son was named Haziah and he had another son named Jehoram. Any other biographical information that you might think of about who he was? Okay. We're going to be in 1 Kings 7, 16 through 2 Kings. But if you want to write it down, there is a parallel story to the life of Ahab in 2 Chronicles 18 through 22. So if this is not confusing enough, you can just go to 2 Chronicles and you can read that account. And then that can all just come together for a big old mashed potato brain. Okay? So that gets confusing. But we still have multiple accounts of the time of Ahab. Now, we think about who he was. Now let's ask the question, why do we know about Ahab? Why do we know the name Ahab? Why does he matter or why are we even aware of him when it comes to the story of the Bible? Why do we know him? Because somebody wrote a story about him. Because somebody wrote a story about him. Okay. Elijah tells him what the story as well. Elijah or Elisha? Elijah. Both. Both. Both do, okay? So yes, that's one of the reasons why we know about him because you get to 1 Kings chapter 17 and as soon as Ahab takes the throne, and that's the end of 1 Kings 16, as soon as he takes the throne, Elijah shows up and Elijah's like, hey dude, uh... You're messing up. God's not happy. Things are going to get bad. And I think what you're referring to, Ann, what he was doing was, uh, it says that... I'm back up in chapter 16 and verse 30. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So it says that Ahab, up to this point, was the rottenness of all the rotten that had come about. He was the most sinful. He was the most heinous. He was the most ungodly king that had come on the scene since the history of of the Hebrews being ruled by a king. So we understand his actions are scandalous, godless, and sinful. We understand another reason why we know about him. Like you said, he is confronted by Elijah. Elijah says, that's not good. This isn't going to happen. And that's where you get the story in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, It says that Ahab, because he was married to Jezebel, those two worshipped Baal. And the worship of Baal was prominent throughout that area of Israel. And you get to 1 Kings Kings chapter 18, and Elijah's like, no, can't have this, and this is where you have the confrontation at Mount Carmel. 
Does any of this ring a bell? Sometimes these will be Sunday school stories that you show up at the top of the mountain and there's at least 450 prophets of Baal and you got Elijah and then you got Ahab and it's been three years since it rained and Elijah's like, let's just figure it out who is really God and who isn't. So the prophets of Baal erect an altar, put an offering on it, try to call Baal, try to call for Baal to send down fire to consume the offering. And from the very first of the morning till noon, nothing happens. Elijah starts to taunt them and starts to say, well, maybe Baal is asleep or maybe he's using the bathroom or maybe he doesn't want to talk to you. And so he taunts them and taunts them and taunts them. And then finally, (coughs) the afternoon time comes and it's time for Elijah to step up. And remember, he has the ditch around the altar. He takes water three different times, pours the water on it, prays to God. The fire comes down from heaven and the fire is so intense that it dries up all the water in the ditch, all the water in the sacrifice, burns the sacrifice, burns up the altar, licks up the stones. Everything is scorched and gone. And everybody's like, ooh, ah. And then after that, Elijah then takes the 450 prophets of Baal. So this would be First uh, Kings chapter 18 and verse 40. Seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And they seize them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah's like, we're not playing with this. We're not playing with this worship of Baal. We are going to eradicate and we are going to get rid. And this was all under the watch of Ahab. Okay, so you have that big story. What's another big story that you might think about? Well, they were blaming Elijah for all the issues that was going on, but it wasn't Elijah. He's like, no, it's your father and your sister that's causing the wrath. That's right. The issues that we had. That's right. That's right. Okay, so then let's look at 1 Kings 21. So there's a couple of big stories. I mean, you've got you. Ahab was just he, he was just a rock dude, a lost dude, sinful guy. He was just he was just not a nice person. But there's several main points that stick out of why we know about Ahab. One of them is Mount Carmel and his showdown with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And then you get to 1 Kings chapter 21 and you get to the story of Naboth. Does anybody remember the story about Naboth? He had a vineyard, okay? So Naboth had a vineyard. So let me give you the Spence version of, and you can read this in 1 Kings 21. I'm not trying to make this up out of a fairy tale. So Naboth had a vineyard. Ahab liked the vineyard, said, Hey, Naboth, I want to buy your vineyard. And Naboth, remember this is the Spence version. Naboth said, No, because this is my inheritance that was allotted whenever Joshua and the people came in and conquered the promised land. All of the tribes were allotted an inheritance of the promised land. And then amongst those tribes, and they would then allot that area amongst the clans. And then the clans would allot the area amongst the family. And then you would have the year of Jubilee every 50 years. And so they had inherited this as they saw it as a gift from God. So Naboth is on the land that he had received through that time of the inheritance. Okay? So Ahab comes and says, sell me your vineyard. And Naboth is like, no, this is this is a land that God gave me. I'm not selling you my vineyard. Ahab's like, hmm, I didn't get my way. He starts to pout. He starts to throw a fit and a tantrum. About that time, Jezebel says, what are you sad about? He says, I tried to buy Naboth's vineyard and he wouldn't sell it to me and now I'm pouting. 
He wouldn't eat. He was restless. He was just throwing a fit like a little two-year-old. So Jezebel says, don't be sad. Here's what we'll do. So they wrote letters to the officials around the area that Naboth resided and said, hey, bring up false charges against Naboth. Bring people false light, false testimonies and people to bring about a false report. Accuse Naboth. Judge Naboth. Then kill Naboth for these trumped up charges. And then after that, Naboth will be dead. And then Ahab can then possess the vineyard. He can take control, possession of the vineyard. So that's what happened. Alright? So that's what you get in 1 Kings chapter 21. That's what happened. So they send out the letters. The officials then condemn um, Naboth. They kill Naboth. And so now Naboth takes possession of the vineyard. And now Naboth is all smiling because he's like, oh, I got a vineyard. Oh, this is so cool. Until you get to 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 17. So this same Elijah, the same guy that had come in there and challenged him at Mount Carmel comes to Ahab in 1 Kings 21 and he says, we got a problem. The Lord came to Elijah on verse 17. The Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. And then you can read down in verse 20, down through verse 24, and Elijah speaking on behalf of God, looks at Ahab and says, Ahab, because you did this, God is going to condemn you. And so he says, the same place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs are going to lick up your blood. Translation, you're going to die and the same thing, the same fate after Naboth's death will be the same fate after your death. So you see God bringing this condemnation down on Ahab saying, shouldn't have done it. And you have this, they have this story about Naboth's vineyard. But then, but then you get down to verse 25. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, who Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out from before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard these words, talking about the words of Elijah, about the judgment that God had rendered upon him, when Ahab had heard these words, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, And you see, Ahab has humbled himself before me, because he has humbled himself before me. I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his Sundays, and I will bring disaster upon his house. So you get two pictures right there. You get pictures of Ahab bringing about this um, ungodly and uh, murderous plot against Naboth. But then you also see Ahab humbling himself and God saying, you know what, I'm still going to destroy him. I just won't destroy him in the same way. I struggle with that. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's like, I don't care, Spence. But I, I struggle with that because it's like, don't see where Ahab repented and said, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Ahab just said, uh-oh, I messed up. Woe is me. And you know, there is a difference between being remorseful and being sorry. Okay? So let me give you an example. So I got this two-year-old. 
You know it's going to come back to one of these sweet black hearted sinners I got in my house, okay? You know this is where it's going to go. Okay, so I got this two year old. And this two year old is sleeping on the bottom bunk of a bunk bed. And when it is time to go to bed, the two year old gets put in the bed and he's got two stuffed animals that he holds on to and he's got a blanket and he gets covered up and he gets told virtually the same thing almost every single night. Stay in bed. Be quiet. That's what I tell him. I don't tell him to go to sleep because that is just a silly thing for me to look at a two-year-old and say, go to sleep. He'll go to sleep long enough as he stays in bed and is quiet. I'll say, stay in bed, be still, and be quiet. The sleep is just the automatic result of that. So I tell him, stay in bed and be quiet. All right. So you would think, you would think, in my household, that's all it would take, right? So you would think, a two-year-old, I put him into bed, the two-year-old's like, oh, daddy said, stay in bed, be quiet, oh, well, daddy said it, so that settles it. You would think that's the way it should work. However, he's not just my child, he's also, 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 he's, he's a blended genetic child. So not all his genetics are just from me. So I don't know if it's my genetics or if it's mom's genetics. I, I have my assumptions or my, 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 I got my guesses, but I don't know. So you know how this story is going to go. So 15 minutes after the light's been turned off and the, the, the instruction has been given, stay in bed, be quiet. I hear. <laughs> now what that is, is that is the whistle that I've told the, taught the older boys and that is the tattletale whistle. Okay? I'm telling you, I, you can ask my other ones, okay? So they know if somebody gets out of the bed and begins covert maneuvers after hours, okay, then the whistle. And it's and that means, Dad, you got an issue, okay? So then I will I will maneuver myself, come into the room, and the two-year-old is either out of the bed looking for a toy, or the two-year-old has already secured a toy and is back in bed, and he's looking at me like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Now, what is he? He is showing remorse because he got caught. Is he sorry? No! He is not sorry. Why? Because I offer him discipline, kind, loving discipline. I leave, and within three minutes later, and this is sometimes a cycle that we may have to repeat three or four times, maybe repeat it once. It just kind of depends on the mood of the two-year-old, all right? Sometimes you're just stuck at the whim of a two-year-old. But it's one of those things that when I go in there, there is remorse, but there is not repentance, okay? Why do I bring all that up? Because sometimes in our lives, we will show remorse over our actions or our behaviors, but we don't repent. The policeman stops you because you're doing... Nine over-ish, right? I'm sorry, officer, I didn't mean to speed. Well, now you are guilty of speeding and lying. So it's one of those things. So we might show remorse, but very rarely are we ever sorry. Well, here in this passage, Ahab, Ahab is showing remorse, but I'm not seeing where Ahab is showing repentance or he's not truly sorry. Why? Because if he was truly sorry, he would go to the family of Naboth and say, here is the vineyard, and what can I do to try to... 
do restitution? What can I do to try to make it up? What can I do to show my apologies and show my remorse for what happened? You don't see any of that. But so when we think about why do we know about Ahab? We know about him because of his actions. We know about him because he is confronted by Elijah at Mount Carmel. We know about him because of Naboth and his vineyard. We know about him because he is condemned by God. We know about him because of his actions after God then brought that judgment upon him. Do we know how he died? And what? He did stop breathing. Do we know the cause? Do we know the cause of him stop breathing? No. He was shot with an arrow. He was shot with an arrow. You know where that's at, Charles? Maybe verse 34 of chapter 22? Okay, that sounds like a good spot to you. Okay, all right, so you go to 1 Kings uh, chapter 22, and then you get to the story, okay? So uh, this is a paraphrase again. So you get to the story where there comes a season where Jehoshaphat shows up with uh, Ahab and says, hey, let's go beat up on these other people. And they're like, okay, so, and I think it's the, the, the Syrians, okay? So Jehoshaphat and Ahab, they join forces. You have the king of Israel and you have the king of Judah. They join forces to go and fight against the Assyrians. And they say, hey, we're going to go fight against them. The Syrians, all they wanted to do was to kill Jehoshaphat. And so they found Jehoshaphat, tried to kill him. He ran away. But Ahab is disguised. They didn't know who he was. And it says in verse 34, but a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. And therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until evening, or until at evening he died. Or for you, Scotty, he stopped breathing. Okay. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And at sunset, a cry went out throughout the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. And so then it says in verse 37, So the king died and he was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria and they washed the chariot of the pool or washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood and the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. So when God says to the mouth of Elijah, Hey, you know where Naboth bled out and where he his body was disposed when he was killed, that same place is where the dogs were going to lick your blood and then it just so happened when they're washing out the chariot and they're washing out the blood of Ahab out of the chariot, it was the same exact spot and the Bible reminds us that that same place is where the dogs are now licking up the blood of Ahab. So he died as was predicted and it, the Bible tells us that it wasn't that he was in some glorious splendor, some majestic campaign or army campaign a random arrow a random shot happened to go just right there if you think about the the plate the steel metal that they would have used or the armor that they would have had I mean it was just a a really narrow shot happened to go a lucky shot get him right in the spot and he died one of the stories I like is the prophet with Ahab yes (laughs) okay so before they go to battle they gather up, you got Jehoshaphat and you got Ahab, and they're trying to figure out whether to go 
and to fight or not. And so Jehoshaphat says, is there not a guy here that... Uh, man of God that we could ask if God wants us to go fight or not. And during this time and you can go back and you can read this this is uh, back in 1 Kings chapter 22 but you go back and Ahab says yeah there's a guy here named Micaiah but uh, all he ever does is say tell me what I'm doing wrong and I don't like him. And Jehoshaphat is like no let's ask him. And Micaiah and I'm, I'm really skipping a lot but Micaiah shows up and they're like hey you know what you need to be favorable and he tells Ahab the bad news. They know you're going to die and uh, this is going to be the end of you. And Ahab's like, see, I told you. All the guy does is he's negative. He never is on my side. He's never encouraging. So that's a good story, Charles. Good, good, good. Any other ideas about, or any other thoughts about why do we know about Ahab? Okay, so then let's ask some questions. The next one. What lessons do we learn from Ahab. So we talked about why do we know him biographically. We talked about why do we why do we know him, thinking about the different stories that we have from Scripture that sticks out. But what are some lessons that he might teach us? If you give up breathing, you die. If you give up breathing, you die. Okay? Not to marry a Jezebel. Not to marry a Jezebel. Okay? Sin's equal spiritual death, but not only that, but physical Say that one more time. Sin? Sin equals spiritual death, but it also equals physical death as well. Okay. Spiritual, physical death for who? For the person that's committing the sin. For Ahab. For Ahab. Does it cause any death for anybody else? Well, yeah. Some innocent ones like his son. I mean, they don't really talk about how evil his sons are, but there you go. Well, wasn't one of the sons a man of God? Or have favor from the Lord? Is that right, brother? I did not find that. So that was that was one of the ones that I wrote down was sin is not singular. So the temptation we have is that my sin is my sin and my sin doesn't affect you. Or that my sin is my sin and my sin doesn't have any effect on you influence on you or that my sin is my sin and it doesn't impact my marriage or my household that our sin can be singular that that's one of the that's one of the lies of pornography okay and it's not just in men it's in men and women but that's one of the lies of pornography the lie of pornography is that if you're the one viewing and being uh, given over to that sin that you are tempted to think this only affects me and that's a lie yeah that's a lie the same thing with uh, drug abuse. Um, people start to think it only affects me. I'm going to take this pill. I'm going to smoke this, whatever it could be. I'm going to drink whatever it can be. Whatever the substance is, it's not just the main stuff. People abuse prescription pills all the time. But we start to think, hey, I'm going to get high, which high is a very broad term, but I'm going to get high and it, I'm the only person being impacted. That's a lie. That's a lie. The Bible teaches us that when we sin, that sin has a surrounding effect. Not just the surrounding effects proximity, but it has a surrounding effects chronologically in the fact that our sin affects the time that comes after us. 
And so we get we we get we get we get bombarded with this lie that says my sin doesn't impact anybody proximity, and then my sin doesn't affect anybody chronologically. And the reality is, is my sin. Your sin, our sin, it affects us, it, it, it impacts our proximity of the people around us, and it has many times downstream consequences for those after us. Let me show you where we see this in the life of Ahab. So you're in 2 Kings, okay? So Ahab died, right? But remember, God promised through Elijah to Ahab that I will destroy, that I am going to bring about destruction, right? And then when Ahab repented, he's like, mm, no, okay, I, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll wait and do that to his son, okay? Then you so you, things rock along. You got Second Kings, and then Jehoshaphat dies, and who is Jehoshaphat's son? Ahaziah, right? Alright, and then Jehoshaphat's grandson is Jehoram, right? Alright, so you got Ahab. He had two sons. I gotta do this again. Ahab had two sons, Ahaziah and Jehoram. Alright, you got Jehoshaphat, son Ahaziah, grandson Jehoram. Alright, so about this time, you have now on the throne, okay, so when we come in to, let's go to uh, 2 Kings, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 9, okay? Let me catch you up in the story. Elijah has gone off the scene. Elisha has come on the scene, all right? So he is the successor of Elijah, all right? And during the same time when Elijah was running from Jezebel and God meets with Elijah after he's running and Elijah is like, oh, woe is me. And God's like, chill out. I've got this. I've got people that are still uh, spokesmen for me. And this whole trouble with the evil between Jehoshaphat and Ahab, I've got that figured out. Eventually, Jehu is going to come onto the scene. So, life goes on. Ahab dies. Ahaziah takes the throne. Ahaziah dies. Jehorahim is now on the throne. Jehoshaphat dies. Ahaziah takes the throne. He is sitting there and in the middle of a battle you have Jehorahim Ahab's son gets injured. So he is convalescing. That just means that he is taking some time to feel better. He's getting, um, getting, putting on the men's. And about the time that he is getting on the men's, you have Jehoshaphat's son. And uh, let me see where I'm at. You have Jehorahim, the son of Ahab, and you got Ahaziah, and they both meet in Jezreel to just see how everybody's doing. Remember the related, the related of marriage now. And you got this guy named Jehu. And this guy named Jehu had been anointed by Elisha to be the next king. So Jehu says, well, if I'm going to be the king, I 
I've got to take out the people that are currently the king. So it tells us there in 1 Kings chapter 9 that Jehu is anointed and then Jehu goes to Jezreel and when he gets to Jezreel, he kills both Jehoram and Ahaziah. Both kings, king of Israel, king of Judah, he wipes them out. Why? Because of their connection back to Ahab. Then you get down to 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 1. The 70 sons, Jehu, then sends letters to all the places where those 70 sons resided and said, Listen, unless you want me to show up and bring about my might and vengeance upon you, killing, beheading, send me his head. And all those 70 provinces, they were like, Huh, maybe, it says in chapter 10 and verse 4, but they were exceedingly afraid and said, Behold, the two kings could not stand before him. How then we, how can we then stand? So what they do, all those 70 areas took one of the sons of Ahab, killed him, cut off his head, and shipped his head back to Jehu. So you've got one man named Jehu that brings about the destruction of the entire lineage of Ahab. The entire lineage got wiped out by one man named Jehu. He wiped out Jezebel. He wiped out Jehoram. He wiped out Hahaziah. He wiped out the prophets of Baal. And he takes all of these things because of their association with Ahab. So you have one man named Ahab who decided to rebel against God, serve Baal, and disobey the things of God. And because of his sin, not just the proximity, the chronological ramifications of his sin brought about destruction for everybody after him. Now why do I, why do I bring that up? Because sometimes we need to be reminded that our sin impacts people both now and later. And we're all, always being tempted to think, no, it's not that big of a deal. It just affects me. It doesn't affect anybody else. But sin always has ripple effects. Sin is not a singular thing. Sin not only kills us spiritually, it will bring about death physically, but at the same time, sin impacts people around us. And you look at the life of Ahab and you see how one man and his sin against God about the influence and the impact it had to all the people around him. And it's a lesson for us to think about just how important and what the gravity of sin is. Sin is such a big thing that God sent his son to die for our sin. That is how big sin is. Now we are tempted to minimize sin and to color coat sin and to put different levels of sin and to ignore sin and to justify sin and to marginalize sin and to try to justify our sin and other people's sin. All those things. But the reality is, is every single sin matters so much to God. How many sins does it take to send you to hell for an eternity? One. Is sin a big deal? Yes. And does sin have an impact in proximity currently? Yes. Can sin have an impact downstream Chronologically, yes. So why do we, why are we so flippant with sin? Because we're sheep. And we're not that smart. 
And we're constantly being tempted to say, well, not this time. So there's a lesson there. There's a lesson about the ramifications and there's a lesson about the effect of sin. Another lesson. You go back to 1 Kings. There is a uh, pastor by the name of R.G. Lee. Anybody know that name? R.G. Lee. So R.G. Lee pastored for like 30-something years at Bellevue Baptist Church. Does anybody know where Bellevue's at? New York. No. It is east of the Mississippi, but it is not New York. So Bellevue is a very um, famous Baptist church outside, just outside of Memphis, Tennessee. Right? So R.G. Lee was a longtime pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church. He was succeeded by a man named Adrian Rogers. Alright? So why while R.G. Lee served at Bellevue Baptist Church, he uh, had a sermon, a very famous sermon called Payday Sunday. In fact, if there's a whole book that he wrote on Payday Sunday, if you want to read it, I've got it. I'll be happy to share it to you. But it's all about the it's all about the story in 1 Kings 21 about when Ahab killed Naboth that God told Ahab there is a payday that is coming someday. When you sin, there will be a consequence for your sin. That payday someday. So when we think about Ahab, we need to be reminded about the importance and the gravity of our sin. We also need to be reminded about the consequence of our sin. And so the whole sermon that R.G. Lee preached, and he preached it over and over again at multiple places, people would have him come, and in that time and day, I mean, they would have you come, and they would say, we want you to preach that sermon. Um, because it was such a powerful sermon, the way that he delivered it, and the way he talked about it. It was called Payday Sunday, and it was built upon 1 Kings 21. And the main thrust of the sermon was, is when we sin against God, there are consequences for our sin. Now, some of our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we repent and we confess and God forgives us of our sin, that sin is washed away. The Bible says that He moves it as far as from the east is from the west. That sin is taken care of. But there are some people that are lost or there are some people that have not repented or confessed of their sin currently and there is consequences coming. Whether it's separation from God, whether it is spiritual coldness, whether it is guilt, whether it is conviction, there will be consequences for our sin. Not only ramifications, but there's consequences for our sin. And that payday Sunday sermon, it was driving home the idea when we go back to Naboth and his vineyard, how God saw it, God knew it, and how He promised that Ahab would one day pay the price for our sin. So we got, we got Sunday school at 9.45, right? And then we'll have Sunday morning service at 10.45. So I hope you'll come back. And I hope that you'll be here on Sunday. And you'll be a part of that. So appreciate you all being here tonight. Mr. Pete, would you be willing to close us in a word of prayer, sir? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to being with you next time.